Joel, thank you so much for being here. It's an honor. <laughs> so, Joel, tell us a little bit about yourself, because some people watching this will be saying, wow, it's Joel, how exciting. And others will be saying, I don't know who Joel is, but I'm sure it's very exciting. <laughs> tell us why it's exciting. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, good morning, Wellspring. And it's great to actually be here. Um, those of you who do know me, um, knew, knew me because I, I served uh, as a national team member with the Evangelical Missionary Church for a number of years. I was a regional pastor providing support to uh, the previous pastors that have served here. Uh, when you interned here, I was still a regional minister. And true. so uh, for a long time I did that. So I've uh, served locally in Guelph as a church planter, pastor, and of Royal City Mission, which is uh, still my home congregation. Then I did that national work, and I rebranded the World Partners Global Arm, uh, Global Mission, and Nicole Jones-Conda is giving great leadership to, to that, to shift from just mission missionary sending and supporting to how to cultivate more mutual partnership with what God's doing around the world. Now I'm in a break, and I'm finishing a Master of Arts global leadership from Fuller Seminary in California, and planning to go on and do some doctoral work, continuing with the body of work for those of you who are academics, um, to, to continue to, to share and lift up the story of what God's doing, particularly in the global south, uh, because that's where Christianity is growing, and so what are the what's the theology, what are the themes? So that's what I'm doing some research on, and I'm looking for next ministry opportunities. Wow. Yeah. So the, the question is, what are they doing right that we're doing wrong? And the answer is, it probably looks a bit more like uh, Christianity does in the Bible or something. <laughs> is that, is that the, the final line of your dissertation, by the way, or have I spoiled it? Or? Yeah, you, uh, I'll have to quote you now. <laughs> yeah, for sure. James Sean, when he's 22. Don't, no one quotes me. It's yeah. not a good idea. <laughs> uh, but the other big uh, piece of my life, of course, um, I still live in Guelph. Um, I live intergenerationally, four generations under one roof. Uh, so with my mother-in-law, Christy's mom, Sandy, and Christy and I, our kids are young adults, but uh, uh, three out of four of our children are married, and they're all uh, living on their own, but some have chosen to live back under our roof during COVID just to oh, uh, increase the support for one another. So there are seven adults and a baby. Uh, I'm a grandpa now, and an opa, uh -huh. and, uh, and three dogs all living under one roof. Excellent. It's a party that every day. Amazing. Yeah, it's really good. I was wondering if the four generations were you, your father, your grandfather, and great-grandfather, you know, just seeing how old. <laughs> You're one of the older ones, Joel. I Who am, knew? That's... I am, yeah. It's, uh, it happens with the older families. Yeah, so your, your beard's got a bit grayer, but the hair's got longer. So there you go. I want to say Joel uh, has always had a lot more responsibility and respect for me, and even he's growing his hair out, so it's... It's coming in, people. That's, That's it. <laughs> um, tell us uh, just for a moment about Royal City. I know that you guys have done some fantastic work during the, I mean, you've been doing it for years now, but during the uh, pandemic particularly, yeah. I've been really encouraged by some of the work of Royal City in, in Guelph. Yeah, thanks. Um, Royal City is a mission that is characterized by uh, making the invisible visible, and that is a twofold reality, that the kingdom of God is at work and we don't perceive it or see it. And so by living as followers of Jesus, we make visible the, invisib the invisibility of God. But the other reality is, is that there are a lot of people that go as invisible. And we take a charity approach to, towards poor 
towards people who live with housing insecurity. And Royal City Mission has chosen to build community with. Uh, and so that, that difference of philosophy or posture has made a huge impact. Um, that Royal City Mission has essentially become a key player uh, in building community and advocating for the needs of those who, who live beneath the poverty line, who live with housing insecurity, uh, who struggle with, with trauma and mental health uh, issues. And so Homewood Health Center, for instance, uh, is, sends teams in to Royal City to participate. Uh, they're a Canadian premier mental health institute. The city of Guelph and many businesses and operations are providing support, funding, volunteerism. And so it has become a hub for mm. the good news of Jesus yeah. that is spilling over and overflowing into the community. And for me, I, I mean, I was the planting pastor of this church, and it's like having a child that grows up and becomes something you didn't expect, <laughs> but it's so much better than what I envisioned. And, uh, and so that, that's the reality that, I, that Christine lived through. And yeah, what an incredible testimony that is to, I mean, to you as a church planter and father, uh, the congregation are very bored of me talking about Luke 4, and but yeah. I have come to bring good news. Yeah to the poor and, and you seeing that true gospel good news mm -hmm. and the and the fruit and even the testimony that makes to folks who would never step foot in a church otherwise exactly um, really really encouraging okay joel uh let me pray for you Thanks. and then i'll get off stage and, and hand this thing over dear lord jesus we are so thankful for uh, yeah the fruit that we get to play that little part in and for all the incredible work and the watering and the growing and the sunshine and all those pieces that you provide. Uh, so we do pray blessings over all the ministries that Joel has been privileged enough to be a part of over the years. Uh, we thank you for the message that he has for us this morning. We pray that our hearts be supple and welcoming to it. And Lord, we're, we're excited to learn more about you. So we ask all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, the message today is entitled The Embrace of Both Suffering and Mystery as We Follow Christ. And it is uh, the passage is Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. And I'd like to read that. I'll be reading out of the NIV UK. Now, I don't know why the anglicized version of the NIV exists, but it's the Bible of my choice, and it's, it's spectacular. Yeah. So um, would you listen in, uh, maybe on the screen where you are, uh, or close your eyes as we enter into this text. The Apostle Paul is writing and says, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you, Colossians, for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not met me personally. It feels, I feel a bit of that affinity today because I haven't met you and you're not in the building, and, uh, and yet we're, we're knit together in the bond of Christ. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. 
For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, during COVID, I have been uh, working and schooling from home. And I, I should mention as well that uh, as well as being a full-time student right now um, in the home stretch of my master's program, which is all online, I'm also serving at the Listowel Evangelical Missionary Church as a transitional coach, 10 hours a week, working with a great staff team there. Uh, and they're doing some incredible work in their community as well. So I've been working from home, but in my home, I don't have a home office. I have a nook in the corner of one of our bedrooms. And that room is filled with heirlooms and antiques. So when James said, I, I, he thought that I would be the, the fourth generation with, you know, great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents, I am surrounded by these heirlooms and antiques that draw, me to, draw my attention to the past, to my family uh, in previous generations. And these include prints of the Market Square in downtown Harlem in the Netherlands. This is one block from Het Glockenhuis, which is where Corrie ten Boom and her family uh, housed and hid Jews during World War II. And I have had the privilege of, of touring that clock house. But my, my maternal grandparents, Albertus and Christina, were married in the square in, that, uh, in the downtown of Harlem. And I have a picture of that majestic cathedral. Now, during World War II, my grandfather was sent to a work camp by the Nazis, and he nearly died. Half of his stomach had to be removed in order for him to live, and that left him with lasting complications growing up. Yet his faith was never broken, challenged for sure, but not destroyed. His favorite psalm, Psalm 22, was, was one associated with the suffering of Jesus, and it held him. He, he clung to God in the midst of despair. You may know the words from Psalm 22, and I encourage you to, to read it as you have time. That starts, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me so far from my cries of anguish? And I'm grateful for the legacy that I have of grandparents that I knew uh, who lived for Jesus and followed him, and my parents likewise. And to pass that on to my children and my children's children. You know, when you're old enough to use that phrase from Scripture, you know you're old. But what a joy it is to live for Jesus. And I'm grateful for their, their life, their legacy, the faith uh, that was passed down and that lives in me now. And as followers of Jesus with a, within a long Christian tradition, we talk about something called the cross-like life, associating with Jesus' death and suffering. It's called the cruciform life. It's a way of living in the world that actually embraces uh, that we sometimes suffer for the cause of the Lord. And this is different than suffering for our own stupid behaviors and mistakes, and I've done my fair share of that in life too. But it's a way of living in the world that is not always seeking to equate living for Jesus equals power, equals self-reliance, equals advancement as its goal. David Bosch wrote a brilliant piece called A Spirituality of the Road. It's a book based on 2 Corinthians. And he devotes a whole chapter to this theme by, saying, by entitling it The Courage to be Weak. 
the courage to be weak. And if you read 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 5, 6, 12, you will see these themes of weakness, of suffering, of service to others that costs us, of affliction that we face. And all of that is in contrast to power seeking or a false sense of joy or boasting about the good stuff only. Paul ends in chapter 12 by talking about a thorn that he had received a thorn he said he needed from God, that God, he prayed God would take it away and God didn't. But he learned how to use that difficulty, likely a physical ailment that God never healed him from. And in that context, he, he presents this beautiful verse, verse 12, for when I am weak, then God is strong, then Jesus is strong. And for those of us who have come to read as we've read in the passage today that Paul is contending he's in prison he's contending for believers some of whom he hasn't even met that he's practicing what he's preached and that he's praying that Jesus would actually show himself strong even though he himself was at a point of weakness not power his sufferings help to complete the full sufferings of Christ and he embraces them for the sake of the gospel, 2 Timothy 1.8. And in this sense of weakness, we enter this text today. And here's what I'd like to, to propose is that, that it is not, my thesis is not just when we get our eyes off Jesus, we're bad. And when we keep them on Jesus, we're good. My thesis is that when we keep our eyes on Jesus, we are giving up the right to proclaim what that goodness looks like. It is not goodness on our terms. It, it means we don't call the shots of what our lives looks like. And so today, as we listen into what it means to embrace suffering and the mystery of the gospel, we can discover a richness in following Jesus that changes our very goals and our very outlook. And I think this is appropriate for us in our time. So Paul starts by saying, how hard I am contending for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. How hard I am contending. He's suffering for them. And this opens this theme of suffering that uh, second, uh, sorry, Colossians 2, 1 to 5 is part of a bigger section starting back in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 24. And I'd like to just reread that even though... Uh, it has been preached with some uh, brilliance over the last couple of weeks. It says this, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. All of this is Paul saying, when we suffer for Christ, we suffer for the benefit of others. And I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you for the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mercy, mystery, which is in Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. This is the, the hardness by which he is contending for others, understanding that whatever persecution and suffering he faces because he is living for Jesus, 
and that is rejected by the culture around him, he is saying it is worth it to contend as I am, even from this prison cell. How is Paul contending for people he's never met, for a church he didn't plant, that Epaphras did? Back to Bosch commenting on Paul's for when I'm weak, he is strong. He says this, suffering brings life. Suffering brings life. To have a a theology that is apostolic, that is that intends to be one who is sent by God to extend his kingdom in your world, in your work, in your home life, in your community, when you live as somebody who is cooperating and participating with God who's on mission in the world, and you live that way apostolically, this is what Kosuke Kuyuma says, apostolic theology will be a stigmatized theology. You think of stigmata, that is the, the nail marks in Jesus' hands. And he says his hands are not entirely open, nor are they closed, simply defenseless and pierced through. And in building on that, We see that Bosch is saying, whether there's fanfare in your life or not, whether you have high power position or whether you are in a jail cell, we know whose we are and why we are called to follow Jesus. And this is a self-emptying way that produces a fulfillment and a joy that the world can't take away, that situations cannot change. And this is what Paul is after when he's saying, I am contending for you and I am encouraged in heart as I do so. And we want to listen in on that today because his suffering is bound up so that others might have unity and they might experience the flourishing that God intends. And this might be in your life that you might be struggling and suffering as you lay down your life, as you self-empty yourself. As I mentioned to you, I live together with four generations. Now, many of you are saying, you've got to be out of your mind. How on earth can you do that? How does it work? You know, there are huge benefits to being together in community, living in community with others. But there are sacrifices we all have to make. And there are lots of, I would say, weekly opportunities for us to apologize for stupid things we've done, not taking into account other people around us. And I've had to do that twice this week. <laughs> and, and yet, there is a self-emptying way, a suffering To say, actually, to live for Jesus means that I set aside my pride and I do that which humbles myself and recognizes where I have failed and it is not brought honor to Jesus in order that I might lift others up. Paul is saying he's suffering for the sake of Christ's body by being in jail. He is becoming its servant. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, that they lay down their life for a friend. And I don't know about you, but the cruciform life, laying down my life for others, taking the high road, it sucks. It's not easy. But the Lord is there giving us the ability to say, I'm with you in the midst of this. Please don't make this moment about yourself. Please don't make this life about yourself. Please don't cling to what you think are your rights or your privileges or whatever you may think you need. Because if you allow me to use your self-emptying right now, it will achieve goodness in you. It will achieve joy in others. It will produce kingdom fruit that, that will point the way back to what I intend for all humanity. 
I love how this fueled Moltmann. Jürgen Moltmann was a theologian in the mid-20th century, mid to late. And after World War II, he wrestled with guilt. Why? Because he was German, and he had been conscripted as a German soldier to fight in World War II. And, and contending to fight for the, the liberation of others, he had to come to terms with how he had done harm to others. And what he wrote about in terms of liberation was that liberation has to be extended to those who have been oppressed, but it also has to extend to those who oppressed. And it has to be liberation for everyone. And this is a tension that we feel in our increasing polarized society, that unless the whole culture goes our way, unless, you know, some are saying today, unless Trudeau resigns, unless there's no mandates for this or that or the other, then we can't be a society united together. And on the other end, we're saying, but what about, why, why won't you accept that, that it isn't about a way of life, it's about people's lives? And there's a way through in the midst of this, a self-emptying way that brings honor to Jesus. And so may, may we actually return to look at the way in which God's liberation comes to those who are oppressed, but also to the oppressed. Pray for all people in every situation with that in mind. You know, as a result of Moltmann and his writing, he became the grandfather of a whole liberation movement in South America. And that his words actually began to grow in Gustavo Guterres and others who contended for all who needed liberation and radically shifted what it meant to be a follower of Jesus in Latin America. Praise God. You know, the popular quote was crafted by a group of Aboriginal rights activists in Queensland, Australia in the 70s, and you've probably heard this. They said to non-Indigenous people, if you have come to help me, have that posture of you have everything to give and we have everything to receive from you. If you've come to help me out of charity, you're wasting your time. But if you've come because your liberation is bound up with mine, then let us work together. And friends, that's the posture that we see in this suffering model that Paul is living and proclaiming to the Colossian church. If you are suffering for your own loss of rights and privilege and comfort, that is not the suffering for the gospel. But if you are suffering because you are contending for the flourishing of others and it costs you, that looks like keeping Christ at the center of your life. And that is life-giving suffering. Let's hang on to that and move over to mystery, which is the second theme that gets unpacked. Paul says in verse 2, following, but he says, my goal is that all these people may be encouraged in heart and you united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know, again, the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. What's Paul talking about here with mystery? Well, I invite us again to think about what's going on in the background of the text. The Colossians were getting distracted from, from who Jesus is, and there were two distractions in particular. Um, there were cultural pressures to turn to mystical pantheism. That is, all the gods are out there, and mysticism was actually producing a, a, a fear mentality, that they fear the spirits of all the gods, the pantheon of gods in the Greek culture, and they were living in fear of that. And Jesus is the one who wants to come in and to break that fear off of them. The other distraction were the Judaizers who said, 
the only proper way to follow Jesus is to live according to the law. There were sacred days. There was circumcision. And you have to make sure to honor all these. You have to make sure to get these rituals right. This morning, for some Christians around the world, they'd say, where are this man's robes in his priestly function? Others might say, how dare he have long hair? Other, I don't know. Uh, others might say, you're wearing paisley, man. I have not clue. But whatever it is that, that others will look and say, they will disqualify us for our forms and our service to Jesus because of their own paradigm. And I invite you to think about that as we think of ourselves as followers of Jesus. Jesus dwells in, in all people. This is what Paul is saying, that, that he would want their, them to all be encouraged in heart and united in love to have the full riches of complete understanding to know the mystery of God, namely Christ. And that it's, it's a unity that is beyond their scope. They used to live in fear of all these spirits, the, the mystical pantheism. But Jesus freed them from any obligation to them. They also used to live in fear of alignment with all the law, and Jesus fulfilled the Torah, fulfilled the obligation to the law, changed the reason why we seek to live lives set apart for him. So what do I need to learn about the expansiveness of the gospel of the mystery of the gospel revealed in Jesus, worked out in human history to guide my life? Well, I'll tell you, the difference between mysticism and mystery is that one controls you by fear so that you, you, you know, you're always saying, am I making God mad today? Or do I have to live in fear of that? And on the other hand, uh, is, is a hopeful expectation and curiosity about how God is at work in ways that we can't even conceive beyond our understanding. Paul is speaking to believers he he doesn't even know. He hasn't even met. And he's saying, keep your eyes on Jesus and you'll find your your outlook in society changes. That you'll begin to look for where God is at work already in ways that you couldn't yet perceive. Get beyond your Torah box or whatever box you want to put God in and start to see that God is much bigger than your paradigm. Now, when we talk about mystery, it feels like this in the global church. Because many uh, of us grew up in an evangelical church or a Protestant church or an Eastern Orthodox church or a Catholic church or a Pentecostal church or a, a free church. And, and we've said, we've got the real corner on God's truth. But God is saying, I pray that they would be one. And what does that look like when it's beyond our frame of reference? And so when we talk about mystery, we all need the treasures of wisdom and knowledge to know that God is much bigger than the boxes we try to put him in. And when we talk about mystery, we're in need of those treasures of wisdom and knowledge because our framework of life can easily run after fine-sounding arguments of our own making. And we need to lay those down and confess. So one of the commentaries that I go to is called the Africa Bible Commentary. It says this about this passage, that Christ is at the heart of this mystery. Knowing Christ is therefore vital. Such knowledge requires constant effort, both on the part of Paul as a servant of the word and on the part of the Colossians who must put their intelligence to use in order to grasp what they are being taught. The knowledge itself is a mystery we don't fully know. And isn't that what it's like to to live in step and to seek to please the Lord Jesus is to take one step and not to know what the next steps are. That there is mystery involved. It is hidden in Christ. It's revealed. 
but it's not known and it's not completed. And so when we join Jesus in his work in the world today, we are not battling mysticism and we are not necessarily battling Judaizers, but there is a, a way of living in the love of God revealed in Christ Jesus, the good news of the gospel, that actually puts us at odds with others who are still controlled by fear and still controlled by law. And friends, we have to keep our eyes on Jesus so that we don't end up in one ditch or the other. Today, many are guided by fear. Many are guided by law. But we must be guided by perfect love. And this is what is written in 1 John 4.18, that there's no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment and the one who fears is not made perfect. Fear is putting something that doesn't belong in the center with Jesus. What is that for you? That seems to crowd and take Jesus' place. We need to surrender those. We need to break down those idols. We need to give them over. Mystery is perhaps best described in a concept called perichoresis. This is what Moltmann called the divine dance, that the Trinity are one, three in one, three persons in one person, that the Godhead is actually a community that is an overflowing, cascading love, that the Father begot the Son and loves the Son, and the Son and the Father love the Spirit, and that the three in one continue in this divine dance but aren't satisfied just to have communion unto themselves but overflows and creates human beings in their image. And this overflowing, cascading love of God, this perichoresis invites you and me and everyone you meet into the dance. And that is the gift of understanding what it is to be guided by perfect love, to take a posture of joining God, contending and self-sacrificing so that others can be included in God's kingdom work, his family, God's forever family. Wow. Liberation for oppressed and oppressors. Where there's hatred, we sow love. And we need to go beyond Ottawa. We need to go beyond Toronto, beyond EMCC, to think of the global south, of Hong Kong, of Afghanistan, of those who are brutally, violently, sexually assaulted over the world, of corrupt governments. We live as those who declare Jesus is Lord by how we participate in the cascading, overflowing love of God to everyone. That's joining in the mystery in whom, in Jesus Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. As I close, I invite you to put this to the test. No one promised us that keeping Christ at the center of our lives would be pleasant, would be culturally praised, would be the ticket to our own advancement. But participating in the divine dance with the Trinity, being willing to suffer, to self-sacrifice for others, reflects the centeredness of Jesus in our lives. That's what I want to be. That's how I want to live. It's, it's profound and it's infectious when we choose to live to reflect Jesus, his kindness, his love, his peace, his long-suffering. And as we process this for ourselves today, I wonder if you would think about that from a head level, a heart level, and a hands level. Just take some time in processing this message today to to enter into and embrace what true suffering for the gospel looks like in your life 
and what participation in the mystery of the good news of Jesus is in your life, how it can lead to you participating in that overflowing love of God. That your head, the things God wants you to know, your heart to feel, your hands to do. And if we keep our eyes on Jesus in this way, what a difference God will make through our lives and through the church. So let's live for him today. Amen.